0: Hello comrades, Uh, this is yet another preview of one of our overtime episodes, this one being the AFL-CIA part two, which I think is pretty highly anticipated by a lot of our listeners. We go over some really interesting stories of collaboration between the AFIL- AIFLD, which is a program which is funded by the CAA, and uh, you know stuff in El Salvador, in Mexico, and this preview includes the some evidence to think that, or to say that uh, Walter Ruther, the uh, leader of the UAW. Um, long time ago, was actually assassinated by the CAA. So if you want the full episode, become a patron at patreon.com workstoppage. And uh, if you can't afford that, uh, jump in the Discord, let one of the admins know, and we'd be happy to hook you up with the episodes. As for right now, I hope that you enjoy this little clip, which I find to be very, very compelling and interesting. And as always... Labor peace is not in
1: our interest, and solidarity forever. So that's some of the real basics of the stuff that Afield was doing. And one other story, though, from the book that was really interesting, that I had sort of heard rumors about this, but I hadn't seen a really good summary of it until I read El Golpe by Rob McKenzie. And then I had to go do some more research on this, because it's, it's a very interesting allegation, which is, the question of whether the death of Walter Ruther, who was the head of the UAW during the sixties and actually, well, for a long time, not just the sixties, but, um, after obviously like after the sixties, after he was killed, um, he was no longer the president of the UAW, but the question of whether his death was actually an accident as it is commonly portrayed or whether it might have been foul play potentially involving the CIA. And the reason I bring this up on this episode is because it has directly to do with Ruther and his brother's opposition to Afield and the involvement of U.S. labor with U.S. foreign policy. Um, so to, to provide the background for that, we got to go into who Walter and Victor Ruther were. Because they have a really interesting like career within US labor, especially for like, you know, revolutionaries on, on our side of things, because they were right in the middle of all the contradictions going on within U.S. labor. They were some of the more progressive leadership within U.S. labor. They uh, long fought for more shop control for workers. They, uh, they actually fought for stronger contracts than most of the other business union leaderships. They, ad- they allied with progressive causes like the Civil Rights Movement against the Vietnam War. However- Due to the incredibly anti-communist attitude and really the the sort of like patriotic fervor that was incited during the Cold War, they also at least felt the need to come out as openly and very staunchly anti-communist. So they would be like, look, we are forgiving the, the American worker a fair shake and giving him the value of his labor, but we're not those communists, we're not trying to overturn capitalism or anything. And so you get this contradiction between them being much more like supportive of real labor struggle within society, but only to a certain point. But the important thing here in this story though, is that Their break with business unionism, or at least the leadership of it under the AFL-CIO, made them enemies both within the labor movement and outside of it. In fact, like during their long careers in the UAW, both brothers survived assassination attempts from company thugs hired by Ford and provided assistance and legal cover by the police in 1938 and 1948. And the F and after like these assassination attempts, one of which where a guy literally shot Victor Ruther in the face with a shotgun through his kitchen window, the FBI refused to investigate these assassination attempts. I mean, these are the heads of one of the biggest unions in the country. There's, there's the idea that it's, Oh, this is just a local petty crime is complete. No one believed that completely ludicrous, but the, but again, uh, the FBI, this was under the era of J. Edgar Hoover, who, uh, spe- who like, specifically had a vendetta against Walter Ruther to the point where he had his his phone bugged, his travel monitored. And, and during World War II, when the FBI made plans to potentially round up later labor leaders, actually put the Ruthers on a list of people potentially to be arrested and interned during the war. Jesus Christ. Uh, so, yeah, so the FBI had absolutely no interest in solving these assassination attempts and obviously clearly hoped they had been successful. They
0: were probably um, fucking behind them. <laughs>
1: like- yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're, they're absolutely at least complicit in covering up, right. you know, the, the actions of the assassins and very well could have been involved. Right, um, I mean,
0: we see that with assassinations. If they're not directly involved, they are, uh, you know, abdicating their duty of actually, like, doing something about it on purpose so that it does come to pass that these, even progressive, but usually more radical leaders are just assassinated.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, I mean, it, the, the parallel of the assassination of Malcolm X, I think, is a very obvious one, where right. the people who actually directly shot Malcolm X were probably not actually FBI agents. The, but the FBI directly incited the assassination and they had agents in place to make sure that his security was not there and to make sure that the, an investigation into the event would not you know, turn up exactly what happened. So I think like, there's a ton of examples like this. But I mean, to, the, to give you an idea of how much the right wing in the United States hated the Ruthers, uh, Barry Goldwater... Uh, you know, one of the big spokesmen for the far right in the U.S. in the 60s and 70s, once said, quote, Walter Ruther and the UAW CIO are a more dangerous menace than anything Soviet Russia might do to America, end quote. <laughs> <laughs> Which if only. Yeah, I'm like, in my opinion, I'm like, look, if you're a labor leader and you hear that, that is some high praise. <laughs> yeah. But, so, during the 60s, largely due to disagreements Specifically on what we've been talking about with with the collaboration between the AFL CIO and the CIA on foreign policy, the interference in the labor movements in foreign countries, the Ruthers actually pulled the UAW out of the AFL CIO, and they would, didn't just you know do that and say gentlemen's disagreement or whatever, and we're not we're, we just want to do our own thing. They actually came out in public and told the press <laughs> that the CIA is funneling money through. A field to interfere with foreign governments, and that they didn't think that the U.S. labor should be involved in that. Like Victor Ruther said, that the leadership of the AFL-CIO were "quote well soaked with both U.S. corporate and CIA juices." It was in effect an exercise in trade union colonialism. Ooh. End quote. <laughs> He's Which, spitting. <laughs> yeah, like that's a that is a great description of what Afield was. And but as we know, especially in the '60s and the early '70s. People who just say that sort of stuff right out and actually get some sort of a like public hearing on it where they actually show up in the press and it doesn't just get suppressed. uh, Don't always necessarily have the longest life expectancy. Mm. So in 1969, the Ruther brothers were on a business trip and they took a private plane to a meeting in Washington, D.C. And this is where I'm getting into the details that were really hashed out in Rob McKenzie's book. It was very interesting. He does a great job investigating this. And when the plane came into land in D.C., it nearly crashed because the altimeter was found to be faulty and read 30 feet higher than the plane actually was. So the pilots thought they were further from the ground when they were than they landed. They were able to, you know, not have a real crash. They were able to land, but the plane was was damaged during the landing. And less than a year later, on May 9th, 1970, Walter (laughs) Ruther was killed.
0: I was going to say, yeah, that was the test case.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, that's the thing. That's what it really seems like it was because on May 9th, 1970, Walter Ruther was killed when the plane that he was taking from Detroit to the UAW Education Center uh, came in too low during a night landing and crashed, killing everyone on board. The NTSB investigation of the crash found that the plane's altimeter read 250 feet higher than it should have been. And they ruled out that the crash itself could have caused the problem with that reading. So it was reading that way before the plane crashed. And the day before his plane crashed, Walter Ruther had gone on record publicly condemning the illegal invasion of Cambodia and the shooting of student protesters at Kent State, which we know enraged Richard Nixon, who was had just become, recently become president and, you know, was dealing with the fallout from his horrific policies. Yeah. And also
0: Uh, the fact that it's literally the exact same thing, but more, they were like, Oh, the altimeter didn't work when we did 30 feet do 250.
1: Yeah. Uh, And that's wild. And so, the NTSB's investigation found a bunch of problems with the altimeter. They sent it to the manufacturer to have them examine it and explain how it could have gotten so screwed up. They found that the components were not actually certified to normal manufacturing standards and were had largely been replaced with military components. Oh, come on. <laughs> The, the pilots of the plane that were flying that night had landed at that particular airstrip in even worse conditions than they were flying in before. So it's not as if these were like new, inexperienced pilots or they'd never been to this small airstrip before. They'd landed there plenty of times. Uh, and coincidentally, the night before the flight, the illuminator lights on the runways broke down which required the pilots to land relying entirely on the altimeter. Because if the lights had been on, well, they could have judged the height by those. If, you know, that if the altimeter had been working, everything would have been fine. So like that altimeter being screwed up led directly to the crash. Like it's not because the, the NTSB ruled there that like there's no evidence necessarily of like pilot impairment, uh, they had just flown, like they well, they they had flown like that p- previous week, but they had, were in like they were not, you know, overstressed or like they hadn't been working like twenty-hour shifts before that or anything. So, a lot of folks, the Ruther family in particular, have been convinced that the crash was not an accident and that the altimeter was sabotaged. And the NTSB's report on this. And this is really interesting. I I uh, saw this from an an interview in an article that Michael Perenni actually wrote, where the report does not say the altimeter was not sabotaged or that the altimeter was sabotaged. It says there's no conclusive evidence either way. (laughs) So it's very much like, we don't know. We're not going to say anything. Uh, we can't prove it, so please stop asking us.
0: Yeah, it's and- so weird for them to be like, well, we think it's possible that under normal maintenance and inspection, military hardware could have been installed in this altimeter. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's so, like, obvious and brazen.
1: Yeah, and In an interview with Michael Perenni in the early 90s, Victor Ruther told him, quote, I and other family members were convinced that both the fatal crash and the near fatal one the year before were not accidental. End quote. And like, I mean, look, do we have direct proof? Yeah. Are there fingerprints on the altimeter? No. Right. Like, No. I cannot say with hundred percent certainty that the CIA replaced the altimeter in Walter Ruther's plane in order to assassinate him. It is possible that it was just a broken altimeter. However, that plane had flown before that day and had no problems. So, the, I- yeah. like, the, the idea that here it just-
0: is, uh, if you are a labor leader, uh, take a big public flight.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it, it, this is a situation where we, unfortunately, you know, you have, kind of have to rely on circumstantial evidence as with a lot of this stuff, because the CIA knows what they're doing with assassinations and are pretty good at covering their trail. Like, well, and but also we have like a- these are
0: big agencies that can step in during investigations and be yes. like, this is under our jurisdiction now, which is a great way of saying like we either, we did this or we just don't want you to find the person who did.
1: Yeah. And I mean, they had a clear motive They needed to, like, they were getting a lot of success during this period with Afield. And so having some of the biggest labor leaders in the country out there publicly telling everyone that it's a CIA conduit and complaining about it and potentially disrupting the alliance between U.S. labor and the CIA was a big threat to everything that the CIA was trying to do, especially in Latin America. And so, like... They obviously, as we know, they had the capacity to do stuff like this. Uh, this was also during the peak of major assassination activities that we're aware of anyway within the United States by the CIA and the FBI. I mean, just during these same few years, you know, Malcolm X, MLK, JFK, RFK, all killed by the CIA, like, or, and the, well, in the case of MLK, potentially the FBI. But, like... <sighs> And we again, we have years and years of collaboration between the police and the FBI with companies like Ford attempting to assassinate these same leaders. So, I don't know. I think there's enough pieces there that it's at least plausible that they did, in fact, assassinate uh, Walter Ruther. And just to point out what happened in the aftermath... Uh, after Ruther was killed and eventually was replaced with a new leader of the UAW in 1981, uh, like just about a decade later, Owen Bieber, the new president of the UAW, brought the UAW back into the AFL CIO. And after doing that, Bieber then served on the AField board of directors from 1986 to 1992. So, I mean, was he placed there? We don't right. know. <laughs> like, so the guys who are criticizing the, the collaboration between the AFL-CIO and the CIA have a plane almost crash. Then one of them is killed in a crash with essentially the exact same cause that can't be shown to have caused by the crash or just regular damage and appears to have been sabotaged. And then the guy who replaces him reverses all the reforms that Ruthers were doing and brings and then ends up serving on the board of directors of that exact same collaborative board between the AFL-CIO and the CIA. So
0: Yeah. Well, and yeah, I, I hope that y'all are buckled in and you've checked that your <laughs> altimeter does not have military parts because we are barely halfway through this uh, episode. And we're going to be talking uh, about Ford and basically the same kind of collaboration between the AIFLD uh, and the Mexican government in
2: the 80s and 90s. Hasta México ha llegado la noticia muy alegre que de es diferente pues el pueblo ya está encontrando contra los rancheros y engreídos que acababan con la gente y como somos hermanos alegría compartimos con todos los campesinos ¡Viva la revolución! Nuestra asociación, viva huelga en general. El en 18 de septiembre de los campos de Teneno salieron los filipinos y después de dos semanas para unirse a la batalla salieron los mexicanos y juntos vamos cumpliendo con la marcha de la historia para liberar el pueblo. Viva la revolución nuestra asociación, viva huelga en general, viva la huelga en el fin, viva la causa en la historia. se hace con bastantes respiroles. Y de nuevo Leona, Texas, han traído sinvergüenzas muertos de hambre por tripoles. Pero hombres de la raza se fajan y no se rajan mientras la uva se pasa. ¡Viva la revolución! ¡Viva nuestra asociación! ¡Viva huelga general! Saben los contratistas que ni caro ni barato comprarán nuestros hermanos no. Pero como el bien sabido para mantener familias Más sueldos necesitamos Ya está bueno compañero Y como dice César Chávez de esta huelga ganaremos Abajo los contratistas arriba nuestros huelguistas que sacaba el estirón